0: Oh my gosh, we're back. It's season 10. It's double digits. Welcome to Trashy Divorces, everybody. I'm Alicia. I'm Stacey. Thanks for joining us today. And a big new shout out to any new listeners from a super kind, really wonderful shout out that we got in The Guardian this past week. Yes, thank you to very funny lady, Sintu V, who said
1: some very nice things about us in a major publication, and we're just proud as peas, and we've been
0: thoroughly enjoying your stand up. Thank you. Thanks so much for that, Sindhu That was awfully kind of you. Welcome, new listeners. Welcome, returning listeners. We are back for season 10. And here at Trashy Divorces, we do trash candy. And we're going big this season. (laughs) This week, kicking us off, Stacey, I'm bringing you Dorothy Parker. Yep. Celebrated, famous wit of the 20th century. And you know this about me. I'm always fascinated by people who marry the same person twice in a lifetime. You found one. Dorothy Parker's story has all kinds of things mostly tragic but you're giving us the opposite side this week Stacy you're bringing us for sure i have
1: the uh very not trashy divorce of amy Poehler and will arnett two comic actors i adore there's a little tina fey shout out in there too it's uh
0: it's it's everything you could want it's everything you're going to want after the sadness <laughs> of the dorothy parker story it's it's a little rough <laughs> before we get started let's give a big shout out to our new patreon supporters We did kick off a new Tuesday series over there with your Loose Women, Stacey. Mm You had some spider webs. We covered Rough Point in Newport, Rhode Island, the home of Doris Duke and its trashy history before then. While I'm getting out the magic mirror with big love and thanks to these folks who joined us over to hear all of that fine content on patreon.com slash trashy forces.
1: Yes, thank you so much for joining us, Jenny, Jennifer H., Laura L., Christina M., Krista H, Christy S, Dana I, Sylvia C, and Elizabeth T. Caitlin G, Anna A,
0: Flossie, Katie F, Christine N, Emily B, Angela R, Anna B, and Beverly P. Holy cats. Y'all are the very best. Thank you so much. Two new super supporters to shout out as well, Kim R and Rayana J. Thank you all so much. Y'all are the very best. And thank you,
1: Sunday listeners, for coming back with us. We were off last week and we feel like we're coming back
0: strong. We are fresh. We got fresh new season 10 flavors. (laughs) You ready to go, go, go? I mean, everyone's here for the flavors.
1: Okay, Alicia, new beginnings. How are you going to kick
0: us off now that we're into the double-digit seasons? I have the trashy divorces of Dorothy Parker. Oh. The most famous and renowned wit of the 20th century? This lady would have owned Twitter. Twitter would have been her domain. I think you're probably right about that. Dorothy Parker was married three times, but only two husbands, two divorces. It's a hell of a story. Before we begin talking about Dorothy Parker, I would like to mention two of my favorite little quips and quotes by her that I think would mean the most to our Trashy Divorces audience. Number one, honesty means nothing until you get tested under circumstances where you are sure you could get away with dishonesty. Hmm. It's a good quote. Mm -hmm. Not as good as my favorite. Don't look at me in that tone of voice. I love her. Oh, Dottie. Oh, Dottie. That's what she's called, Dot or mm-hmm. Dottie. Dorothy Rothschild was born August 22nd, 1893. Now, there are a few things happening when Dottie comes into the world. First, she is born in the eye of a hurricane. Huh. There's a terrible storm in 1893 from August 15th to August 25th. It sweeps the East Coast bottom to top. Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay. It is a category three, 10 day event. And it is known in legend as the Midnight Storm. Hmm. Dorothy is born as the Midnight Storm is hitting her parents' Ocean Avenue cottage on the Jersey Shore. And Dorothy Parker is upset her whole life that she was not born in New York City. That she was born in Jersey on the shore. Because her parents have a place in the city. I think a lot of people feel that way. (laughs) When forced to be born in New Jersey. (laughs) She is a cosmopolitan girl, Mm -hmm. and uh, the love for her city will never, ever go away. Okay, so the other thing that happens on the day of her birth, August 22nd, you know it, I know it, one of our favorite things around here, cusps. Oh, (laughs) sure. Cusps. For Dottie, she is born in the cusp of exposure. This covers the 19th of August to the 25th of August. And here you have the element of fire meeting the element of earth. This is the passion of a Leo crossed with the perfectionism of a Virgo. Good with words, desire for privacy and secrecy. Let's see how it bears out. Now the thing about old Dottie when she comes into the world, it is as part of a moneyed set, as part of the elite. Her father is a Rothschild. He's son of Prussian immigrants. Dorothy's dad falls in love with the Protestant girl next door that lives to the family. Her family are like the gunsmiths in the town, or (laughs) I know. Cool. (laughs) Dad doesn't so much uh, like Dorothy doesn't remember traditional holidays in the Jewish faith being celebrated. Interesting. It's very sad when Dorothy's five, her mom dies. And so dad is going to get a new wife, and Dorothy hates her stepmother. Dorothy will address her stepmother as the housekeeper. That's what she calls her. Because Dorothy and her dad are tight. Okay. Like, there's this whole legend of, like, oh, cruel stepmother, and how bad Dorothy's – I'm not saying that she certainly doesn't have some tragedy built in. It's sad when your parent passes away. But Dorothy and her dad, like, she's the apple of his eye. Well, I think there's also some reason to believe from, you know, later in her life that Dorothy Parker had some attitude. She had some attitude and she had some Imago things that she works out. Let me tell you about it. Okay. Dorothy is going to end up, because again, dad doesn't assimilate so much with his Jewishness. And there's a lot of Jewish families at the time that will send their kids to Catholic school. So Dorothy goes to Catholic school and Dorothy and the nuns. Not so much getting along. New band name. Dorothy and the Nuns. (laughs) Uh, She's going to drop out of formal schooling by the time she's 13. Done. Couldn't make it a habit. (laughs) Ah, funny. In 1912, Dorothy's dad's brother is sailing on a boat coming back from England. It's not that boat. It is that boat. (laughs) Dorothy's uncle dies on the Titanic, the Titanic and her father will never recover from the loss and he'll pass away the following year. Oh my God. Leaving Dorothy at 20 with no doting father anymore and kind of penniless. But here's the most amazing thing. Times are tough, but Dorothy writes like she knows how to play piano. She's a girl that's been raised with, you know, good stuff around her. So mm-hmm. she can play the piano, but she and her dad have spent years writing to each other in rhyme, like Edna St. Vincent Millay. And so she's developing her style. And she will submit a few of these that gets her a gig writing captions for Vanity Fair in 1914. She's the caption writer. Yeah. How does Vanity Fair keep saving our stories? (laughs) It's amazing. (laughs) She will take an editorial job at Vogue only to actually join Vanity Fair as a staff writer and not a contributor in 1917. Dorothy's going to take over as the drama critic for Vanity Fair on Broadway. (laughs) The last guy who did it, P.D. Woodhouse, (laughs) has gone to war. Dorothy Parker is the youngest and first female drama critic on Broadway. And she dropped out of school at the age of 13. 13. Kind of a big deal. You can be whatever
1: you want, people. Do not let your credentials or lack thereof define you.
0: Go do what you want to do. Go do (laughs) you. Go replace P.G. Wodehouse. (laughs) Right? Isn't it? It's a story is amazing. But a little stability, on the other hand, is nice. An inter Wall Street stockbroker, Edwin Pond Parker II. In 1917, Dorothy and Edwin do marry. And then he leaves like 10 minutes later for World War I. Like 10 minutes. But Dorothy has secured a married name, a little bit more financial freedom for herself. But she's going to make her own freedom. So if F. Scott Fitzgerald... In 1920 is the male voice of the 20s. Dorothy Parker is it for the female voice. She's legendary at the time. Her husband is overseas and she is world famous for her writing and her quips, eventually being part of the founding members of the Algonquin Round Table, mm-hmm. the vicious circle which will include such other luminaries as Robert Benchley, Harpo Marx, uh, George S. Kaufman, Edna Ferber. Now, Prohibition's kicked in, but this group will meet daily for like seven years and becomes famous for their wit and commentary about the people and happening of the times. Old Edwin <laughs> is going to come home for war. And war has changed, Edwin. He is suffering severe PTSD. He has also become a pretty significant alcoholic as well as a morphine user. Don't mix those. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty terrible. Edwin is going to depart and live in Connecticut. Uh, Dorothy is going to stay in the city because that's where the action is. Like, she's a famous writer. This is my place. I got the round table to attend. This marriage is going to stick around on paper until 1928 when the divorce is finally finalized wow they knew how to kick off the great depression (laughs) just so didn't they (laughs) this is all terrible marriage one over and done they spent like 10 minutes together in 1917 nobody's missing this one being done now dorothy world famous but not without her struggles or challenges she's drinking a lot there are a number of suicide attempts there's an abortion as well which apparently, even at that time, will be sanctioned by doctors. If you have three doctor's notes, it could be done legally. Hmm. I didn't That's... know that that was a weird, odd thing that I learned, is that, yes, in fact, it was legal if you jump through these sort of hoops and parameters. It seems like a dangerous time to
1: avail yourself of anything approaching surgery, but okay.
0: True that. Successful, struggling, our fearless Dorothy has released short stories She's taking a gig at the New Yorker. She's making writing collections. She's traveling to Paris, hanging out with old Ernest Hemingway and F. Scott Fitzgerald and the whole crew in the avant-garde expat set, contributing articles in lots of places, publishing, still passionate, still a perfectionist. In 1929, Dottie's going to win the O. Henry Award for Big Blonde. She's producing short fiction, again, doing things on her terms. And then enter husband number two for the first time. I am always fascinated about how this works out. Like you break up for a reason. Why do you marry the same person again? It just boggles the mind. Sometimes you just need more familiarity before it breeds contempt. Let's get them together first. (laughs) (laughs) Because these two are an unlikely pairing. Maybe. Maybe. Dorothy's future second husband is an actor-writer named Alan Campbell. He's born in Richmond, Virginia. Alan is 11 years younger than Dorothy. He's born in 1904. Cougar. Alan goes to the Virginia Military Institute and then heads up to the big city, New York, in the late 1920s. And he's making his start. He's writing. He's acting on Broadway like you do. By 1931, Allen gets a three-month writing contract at MGM. He hates it. He detests it. But he thinks if given the right partner, he could be darling at it. In 1932, Algonquin member Robert Benchley introduces our two lovebirds, Dottie and Allen, and Marion Mead in her book, Dorothy Parker, What Fresh Hell Is This? will write of the encounter this way. She, Parker was immediately impressed by Alan's golden good looks, the fine bone structure, the fair hair and dazzling smile that it made seem as if he had just stepped indoors on a June day. He resembled Scott Fitzgerald when Scott had been young and healthy before he'd begin drinking heavily, and some people thought him far better looking. Alan, like Scott, had a face that was a touch too pretty for a man, the kind of features that caused people to remark that he would have made a splendid woman. He was typecast by producers as a classic juvenile. Alan Campbell will later recall, Dottie was the only woman I ever knew whose mind was completely attuned to mine. No one in the world had made me laugh as much as Dotty." John Keats will point out, They had arrived in each other's lives at the very moment each most needed the other. Alan was at a turning point. He was an unsung actor of minor roles and unimportant plays. He had faced up to the fact that his talents as an actor were meager and that there was no real point in his continuing in a career in which he would never do particularly well. He is 28, she is 39, and a partnership of sorts is born. He needs a writing partner, and she needs someone to take care of her. Like, as talented as she is, she is doing a very, very bad job, not excelling at self-care. The two are going to rent an apartment in New York City. According to one source, Alan had bought the food, done the cooking, done all the interior decorating in their apartment, painted all the insides of the bureau drawers, cleaned up after the dog's, Washed and dried the dishes, made the beds, told Dorothy to wear her coat on cold days, shaken the cocktails, paid the bills, amused her, adored her, made love to her, got her cut down on her drinking, otherwise created space and time in her life for her to write. Hmm. Sounds like she lucked out. Donald Ogden Stewart will argue. He, Alan Campbell, took her, Dorothy Parker, and probably kept her living. He was important in so far as taking care of her was concerned, and she was well worth taking care of. Alan was an actor, and he may have been playing a part which little by little took over, but he wasn't a villain. He kept her living and working. Ruth Goodman Goetz will add, Alan bought her clothes, fussed with her hairstyle and her perfume. Dottie was delighted to have this handsome creature around. So these two are doing fine. Living together. Everything's cool. No reason to get married. Like, everything's fine. In 1934, Allen is going to take a role in Summerstock in Denver, Colorado. And Dorothy and Allen pile on into the 1929 Model T Flyver and head west from Manhattan to Colorado. The couple's heading out. They've rented a home in Denver for a few months. It's going to be a terrific summer. Apparently, nothing is happening in the summer of 1934 because this becomes hot news for the press. Hot on their heels. Dottie and Alan are being hounded Hmm. by the press. They're traveling together. They're staying together. You're not married. La scandal. Wire people. (laughs) Dorothy Parker lies to the press and says we're totally married and mind your own damn business. But no one believes it. And everybody's looking for a piece of paper. What to do? They head 218 miles south, down to Raton, New Mexico. R-A-T-O-N? Raton? Raton? Your guess is as good as mine. Somebody from New Mexico Write us. Me. <laughs> June 18th, 1934. It's a tiny little town in New Mexico, but apparently it is an ideal place for quickie marriages. It's on the border. It's easily accessible. Laws in New Mexico are looser with how long it takes to get a license. In 1934, what is called the Seaburg European Hotel is going to take prime advantage of this opportunity, and they even offer within their hotel services a justice of the peace that will kindly come on down the block, so convenient, and marry you. I love it. Like, go capitalism. (laughs) So Justice Hayner comes on down and the deed is done. Hi, I would like to reserve a room under the, the press are hounding us. And (laughs) we would like to get married now. Dorothy's 41, Alan's 30. The press are off their backs for now. Because after this, have you heard about a place called Hollywood? It's got two new writers. They are making a fortune. Dorothy, Parker, and Alan are originally hired for a 10 week contract She's making $1,000 a week, then up to $2,000 a week in short order. Alan begins at $250 a week. They live in Beverly Hills. They have a mansion. They have a cook. They are going to buy a farm in Pennsylvania. So life is good. Dorothy will, though, that's sad, has a miscarriage in 1935. But Alan loves the glamour and the glitz of Hollywood and the settledness of the farm, but mostly, like, they're drinking. They're drinking a lot. Dorothy favors Manhattans. Alan drinks Scotch on the Rocks, but when they're drinking together, it is pitchers of martinis. And now that I think about it, Dorothy Parker kind of gave Scott Fitzgerald a hard time, but if there are not some mirror images happening with Dottie and Alan and Zelda and Scott, but I digress. It sounds like this was
1: a certain kind of lifestyle in this era like it this was a way people lived then not all people
0: well it's i wouldn't say it's happy john keats will suggest that dorothy parker lived with a fretful husband in a rather oddly furnished house quarreling with her friends allowing herself to grow dumpy and barren middle age wasting her time on silly scripts Stunning herself with alcohol and sleeping pills, loving the working man in general while despising him in particular, ridiculing as meretricious the artistry that had enabled her to become the mistress of a New York apartment, a California mansion, and a country estate. Between 1935 and 1937, she spent herself as she spent her money, as if she hated both. Hmm. That is... In 1930s... Oh, that's, a t- that's pretty bleak. bleak. In 1937, Alan and Dorothy will write A Star is Born Academy Awards and success, and they're heralded, but she is becoming political, and pre-World War II and Hollywood is kind of a dangerous place to be, and Alan is resentful because he's not really aligned with her political activities He's also resentful because it's said that he only gets work because of her. Hmm. Yeah, that'll... He's the one, but Alan is the one kind of dragging her along to, like, stay alive and not collapse in her own spiral that is happening. And both of them together, because they are attached, are getting sort of dragged down into this anti-left Hollywood movement happening Alan's going to end up joining the Air Force in 1942, and in a move I haven't seen in a while, Dorothy's going to follow him around. She can't really get work. She's kind of too controversial. Even foreign correspondence jobs are like, uh, uh, no, we can't give you a press pass to just go randomly wander the world. (laughs) So... (laughs) Dorothy's going to follow Alan around from camp to camp throughout 1942 and 1943 until he's shipped to London, where he will serve in army intelligence and begin a long-term affair with a European woman. Mm. As you do. Oh, he's also bisexual. Oh. So he has affairs with all kinds of people. But so does Dorothy. So don't. Okay. Okay. Who's crying now? I I don't know. (laughs) Here's something I left in. It's it's a little bit lengthy, but going to send this out to all spouses of people that serve in the military in whatever capacity they do. In July of 1944, Dorothy Parker will write an article for Vogue about what it's like to be the wife of a soldier serving overseas. And I just thought this was really very poignant, not only based on her experience with Alan Parker, but also with her first husband. Oh, right. Right. Wow. Yeah. She did. She did this twice. She did this twice. And I, I found this moving and big cheers to all of you military spouses from TDHQ. And Dottie. And Dottie. You say goodnight to your friends and you know that tomorrow you will meet them again. Sound and safe as you will be. It is not like that's where your husband is. There are the comrades closer in friendship to him than you can ever be, whom he has seen comic or wild or thoughtful and then broken or dead. There are some who have gone out with a wave of a hand and a gay obscenity and have never come back. We do not know such things, prefer, and wisely to close our minds against them. I have been trying to say that women have the easier part in war, but when the war is over then we must take up. The truth is that women's work begins when the war ends, begins on the day their men come home to them. For who is that man who will come back to you? You know him as he was. You only have to close your eyes to see him sharp and clear. You can hear his voice whenever there is silence. But what he will be, the stranger who comes back, How are you to throw a bridge across the gap that has separated you? And that is not the little gap of months and miles. He has seen the world aflame. He comes back to your new red dress. He has known glory and horror and filth and dignity, and he will listen to you tell the success of a canteen dance, the upholsterer who disappointed the arthritis of your aunt. What have you to offer this man? There have been people you never knew with whom he has had jokes you could not comprehend and talks that would be foreign to your ear. There are pictures hanging in his memory that he can never show to you. Of this great part of his life, you have no share. Things forever out of your reach, far too many and too big for jealousy. That is where you start. And from there, you go on to make a friend out of that stranger from across the world. She's a brilliant writer. Brilliant writer. Alan does come home for more. And again, now that he's been having a very long term affair with a European lady, Dorothy has fallen in, fallen for, I'm not going to say fallen in love, but fallen for a significantly younger man. And war does them in. Like, maybe their affairs. They first divorce in 1947. And this is where we should be ending this episode of Trashy Divorces. But we are not. You break up for a reason. But Dorothy doesn't know that. Because she's going to pick up the phone two years later and call Alan. Things were better when you were here. I can't get work. Can you get work? Oh, okay. How about... August 17th, 1950, these two remarry. Dorothy's going to tell her friends, I've been given a second chance. I've been given a second chance and who in life gets a second chance? Oh, Dorothy. Another friend will say Alan was marrying her because he wanted to help take care of her. Alan was so wonderful for her and she would crucify him, but she relied on him and he was lovely to her. Before they get married in August, back in June, Of 1950, the House for the Un-American Activities Committee Mm -hmm. is heating up. So, Alan, who really didn't have anything to do with her activism, is kind of slung up in it. They do remarry. Eventually, they're going to head back to New York City. They get a few knocks on the door from some FBI men, some G-men. But this is Trashy Divorces. The couple is going to live separately, for the most part, from 1952 to like 1961, there is a really poignant observation made by the journalist, Wyatt Cooper, who was also the fourth husband of Gloria Vanderbilt. Wyatt's going to meet the couple for the first time in 1956. and I just found this so telling about what their life was like. My memory is of a stark, bare, colorless, and impersonal room with a large bone on the floor, dog toys on the gravy-colored sofa, A dog, of course, and an agonized Alan facing a stricken-looking Dottie, who was then, as incredible as it seems to me now, actually fat. My impression was of a sad, bewildered young girl, angrily trapped inside an inappropriate and almost grotesque body. Of the desolate conversation, I remember only that she apologized repeatedly, for the disorder of the room, for her own appearance, and for the behavior of the dog, and for the absence of anything to drink. It was painful to witness the estrangement of two people who were forever to be deeply involved with each other. Loneliness and guilt were almost like physical presences in the space between them, and they spoke in short, stilted, and polite sentences. With terrible silences in between. And yet, there was a tenderness in the exchange, a grief for old hurts, and a shared reluctance to turn loose. Isn't that some great writing? Thanks, Wyatt Cooper. Dorothy and Alan do remain married. There is no second divorce, unlike Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton. They stay married until his death in June of 1963. Dottie will move back to California by this time. She is working as a visiting professor at California State College in Los Angeles. In June 1963, Alan is found dead after a day of drinking Bloody Marys. He's found with capsules of secanol around. It's a... sedative. There are some complicated circumstances around it, but the coroner's report shows that he dies of acute barbiturate poisoning due to an ingestion of overdose. It will list the death as a probable suicide. Dorothy will return to the city that she loves most New York and will live in the Volney residential hotel for the remainder of her life. She will die four years after Allen, like in a week apart in June of 1967 at the age of 73. Dorothy has left her estate to Martin Luther King jr. A man she never met, but respected enormously, and she is going to fund him, and in the event of his death, which will happen terribly Mm -hmm. the following year, the funds from her estate were designated to go to the NAACP. So there's a little spiderweb for you. Sad, but spiderweb. Dorothy's body is cremated after her death, and her remains are never claimed. So like five years after her death, the county is going to send them to her lawyer's office who represented her in life. But that lawyer has passed away and his new partner gets Dorothy Parker's remains and puts them in a filing cabinet. And there they stay for almost two decades, like 17 years. I guess the lawyer's moving office spaces. He's like, we need to do something with this. So the NAACP will claim them and design a memorial garden for Dorothy Parker outside their Baltimore headquarters. Dedicated in October of 1988, the plaque that was there says, Here lie the ashes of Dorothy Parker, 1893 to 1967. Humorist, writer, and critic, defender of human and civil rights. For her epitaph, she suggested, Excuse my dust. This memorial garden is dedicated to her noble spirit, which celebrated the oneness of humankind and the bonds of everlasting friendship between Black and Jewish people. The NAACP has Hmm. since moved their headquarters, and Dorothy's remains have now been reinterred in Woodlawn Cemetery in the Bronx, in the place that Dorothy's father reserved for his beloved daughter before he died over 100 years before. Hmm. Those are the trashy two divorces of Dorothy Parker. All right. I don't even have trash cans. For that, I don't even know. An empire state full of trash cans with liquor bottles and grief and some sort of terrible codependence. But they live apart for so long. But there is something intrinsically... I don't know. So is is A Star is Born her
1: most... Notable. I mean, she wrote everything for decades, right? Like she was.
0: Yeah, she's notorious. Dorothy Parker.
1: She writes everything. All right. Well, that was a kind of a downer of a (laughs) mid-century tale.
0: Kind of a downer. It's a sad story, but it is so interesting to me when people marry the person they just got divorced from. I'm curiously fascinated by how this happens because i live in the land of you broke up for a reason we are never ever ever getting back together sounds like she
1: was not exceptional at taking care of herself especially later in life and maybe she realized she needed a little more of that and he was game i
0: don't know it's an interesting story okay Think we're coming back with something not quite as sad? No, no. So there we they, were, the equal and opposite sunny side of the street for you. Very not sad. There you go. Well, I'm glad we planned this then. Yeah. Which we didn't at all. Let's take a break and hear mm-hmm. something not quite as tragic as Dorothy Parker. Yeah, that was rough. <laughs> all right, we will be right back. <laughs>
1: This episode is sponsored by Apostrophe, a prescription skincare company
0: for people that are ready to take their acne seriously. Not just acne. Being in my fourth decade of life, my skin challenges have changed over time. And that's the great thing about Apostrophe. Apostrophe makes it easy to see a board-certified dermatologist online. There's an easy online questionnaire about your skin concerns and medical history. You snap a few selfies to send to your doctor who will respond quickly with a customized treatment plan just for you your topical and oral medications are delivered right to your home.
1: There's no need to go into a doctor's office and it feels pretty good to have a dermatologist tailoring a plan about my skin concerns. Apostrophe helps make your skincare goals come true, treating
0: acne, reducing redness, wrinkles, even dark spots. Get $15 off your first visit with a board-certified dermatologist at apostrophe.com trashy and use our code trashy. This code is available only to our awesome listeners.
1: To get started, just go to apostrophe.com trashy and click begin visit. Then use the code Trashy at sign up, and you'll get $15 off your dermatology visit. That's apostrophe.com
0: slash trashy, and use that code trashy to get your dermatology visit for $15 off. And again, we thank Apostrophe for sponsoring our podcast today.
1: Hey, Trash Pandas, when you need a brain break from your day, let me recommend the game June's Journey for Android and iPhone. It's a hidden object mystery game where you are solving a murder, uncovering family secrets, and I don't know, exposing official corruption virginia it's a great combo of gameplay it's a memory puzzle a design project an intriguing storyline with genuinely fabulous art when you want to let your mind wander relax into this glorious 1920s murder mystery and get lost in the fun discover your inner detective when you download june's journey for free today on ios and android
0: another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check must not take yourself too seriously and 6-1 since that matters and what do i even say other than hey <sighs> well that's why they're introducing an all new bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier starting the chat better and dating safer they've changed so you don't have to download the new bumble now
1: after the last year of no restaurants i am so tired of my own cooking alicia It was such a delight when our Magic Spoon order arrived and I finally had a tasty, quick-to-prepare breakfast or, don't judge me, afternoon snack option that is not a sugar bomb.
0: Right? Magic Spoon cereals have zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and only four net grams of carbs in each serving. Only 140 calories a serving. It's keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, low-carb, and GMO-free. It's a variety pack. The four flavors are cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter. It hits all the
1: Saturday morning kid nostalgia notes while also having some seriously good trying to take care of myself
0: like an adult mojo. Go to magicspoon.com slash trashy to grab a variety pack and try it today. Be sure to use our promo code TRASHY at checkout to save $5 off your first order. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it is backed with a
1: 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions
0: asked. Remember, get your next delicious bowl of guilt-free cereal at magicspoon.com trashy and use the code TRASHY to save $5 off. Thank you, Magic Spoon, for sponsoring this episode. There's never a wrong time to take a look at the things that are keeping you from living your best life and if now is your moment, we recommend BetterHelp.
1: BetterHelp is confidential, convenient, and safe professional counseling with your own licensed therapist. BetterHelp's quick questionnaire matches you with a counselor in under 24 hours, and you can message your counselor at any time, even between scheduled phone or video sessions. And if you're not clicking, that's fine. It is free to change counselors.
0: BetterHelp is available worldwide. They offer specialized expertise that may not be available locally where you live. It's more affordable than traditional counseling. Financial financial aid is available as well. It has just never been easier to find a licensed professional counselor in fact, there are so many people
1: using BetterHelp that they are recruiting counselors in all 50 states.
0: We want you to start living your happiest life today. As a Trashy Divorces listener, you get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com slash trashy. Join more than 1 million
1: people who are taking charge of their mental health. Visit BetterHelp, That's
0: betterhelp.com slash trashy. So we're back from break. We've left the Trashy, sad behind, and you're going to a trashy, happier divorce. Both people still alive. That helps. For starters. (laughs) So yes, hello, and welcome
1: back to Relationships Are Hard, and We Should Have Empathy for People When They Don't Work Out as Permanent Partners. Yeah. Your weekly exploration of the private suffering of others. (laughs) No, for real, this week I've got the story of two comic actors I absolutely adore, and while the marriage between Amy Poehler, Saturday Night Live, Parks and Rec, and Will Arnett, Arrested Development, BoJack Horseman, both have many more credits to their names, did not lead to a lifetime of marital bliss. They've maintained a friendship and co-parenting relationship that we should all appreciate. I love that. Yeah, and Will has quite recently had some out loud thoughts about the inherent dangers of interacting with the public during a celebrity divorce. So take note, friends. Famous people are people too, and maybe don't go tagging them on Twitter to hit them up about painful personal things. Oh, no. Oh, no. William Emerson Arnett, the pride of Toronto, Ontario, Canada, was born May the 4th, 1970. Taurus
0: boy. Mm -hmm.
1: And you will love this. For the first decade of his life, he was the baby of the family. He had two older twin sisters when he was ten, his parents informed the family that another baby boy was on the way. And
0: he's the youngest only. Uh huh. That's and,
1: unusual. Oh, and he was mad. So in oh, response I bet. <laughs> Yeah, he was not gonna have his baby status taken away, but he, he did. And he started acting out, lashing out. He got kicked out of an all-boys school along with a bunch of his friends because this group of twelve-year-old near to wells. <gasps> We're a lot more interested in smoking, drinking, and hanging out late at night. You got to fight for your right to party, man. With the babe. girls. Yeah. So
0: That's amazing. It's not. It's terrible. Stay in school, kids. Or not. Leave school like Dorothy Parker and Will Arnett. Yeah. Go write for Vanity Fair <laughs> like a normal person. <laughs> no, he stayed in
1: school. He ended up in a succession of high schools. But it was through this process that he did discover his love of acting. His mother was very encouraging on this point. His father is a Harvard-educated lawyer and a businessman. He was the CEO of Molson Brewing. At oh, one wow. Point.
0: Okay. Like,
1: yeah, upper echelon. Big deal. Legal executive mm-hmm. kind of guy. So dad was a little, little cooler on the acting thing, um, telling Will when he dropped out of college after a semester in order to move to New York to study acting. Follow his dream to be an actor, dad. <laughs> yeah, this was 1990. Dad says, well, you got to do what you got to do. <laughs> That was that. So Will gets to New York City. He enrolls at the Lee Strasberg Theater and Film Institute. And he spent several years just absorbing all of it. Okay. Cool. He says he performed in bad plays that he and his friends had written themselves. Love it. He appeared in an indie movie with Felicity Huffman in nineteen ninety-five. Uh, he was also briefly married during this period to fellow actor Penelope Ann Miller, but they divorced in '95 after like really? a year. Mm-hmm. I did not know that. Nor did I. I'm not even sure she remembers. Not kidding. Okay. Meanwhile, an agent took note of his distinctly deep and gravelly voice. He really does have a terrific. He has got a great voice, voice, and recommended that he try his hand at voiceover work. You know, while the maybe the acting thing works, maybe it doesn't. But you can land commercials. You like you can easy peasy. Suddenly, Will Arnett was making real money as an actor. That's nice. With the downside that he was as anonymous as ever. He began managing his career anxieties and the wide gap between his expectations and his reality with alcohol. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I laugh, but anyway. So basically, he the way he talks about it, it sounds like he sort of moved in part-time to his local bar in Chelsea. He would tell himself that he could just stay and drink all night and it didn't matter because, like, all I have tomorrow is a voiceover and I can roll out of bed and do a voiceover. It's fine. Hangovers don't count. Oh, man. Not great. His girlfriend at the time was not in love with this lifestyle development. It was his lifestyle development. Every
0: date we have is at the bar. Of the moment. Yeah.
1: Don't make the bar weird. (laughs) Yeah, he he was just how I met your mother. Just a one man, one man show. So I will admit that I don't know if I had appreciated fully, like how seasonal Hollywood is in some respects. So there's a 2016 Hollywood reporter interview with Will Arnett by writer Lacey Rose, where he talks about the absolute nightmare of coming to LA for pilot season. This makes perfect sense. Like when he explained it, I was like, of course it works that way. So this is what he and I think countless other actors not based in L.A. do. Like they fly to L.A. or drive or whatever. But they go to L.A. for a few months every year for pilot season. And this can be a complete nightmare. So for Will, it was like year after year, he was just met with varying degrees of disappointment. He is a guy that very cool people who know him very well, will routinely say nice and generous things about. Like, he's apparently a gregarious and friendly guy in person. Jimmy Kimmel says, like, he puts, like, performance time into making the barista laugh at the coffee shop. Like, he, you know, like, he's a nice guy. But it's also really clear in his interviews that he feels criticism acutely. Mm. And professional setbacks just throw him for a loop deep into his personal life, too. Like, it's he's he's very... I know the type, like, I have some of this myself. Um, I, as you know, I usually can't bring myself to read reviews of our show, even though mostly they're very nice. Just can't risk it. (laughs) Just, anyway, here you will. So he was cast in his first pilot in 96, but the show was not picked up. In 1999, he was finally in one that was picked up, but the show was canceled after two episodes. So he did an interview with an outlet called Television Without Pity in 2007. All of these links are on TrashyDivorces.com, sure, yeah, yeah. of course. And, you know, he he talks about like how they, everybody on the cast, this was the Mike O'Malley show, and Mike O'Malley is another comic. You'd know him if you saw him. He's been in a lot of things. It was this big cast. There were like six or eight people. They were all really good friends. And they taped like seven or eight episodes by the time they got there. Like, everybody was really proud of the voice that the show was developing. It was really... Everything was coming together, and it was the best time because it was just this big group of friends. Right. And yeah, they aired two episodes and then canceled it. Oh, no. And he says that, you know, and then we realized that they never intended to follow it or support us like the studio. No, that's
0: terrible. hmm
1: So he says, I took the disappointment of that really to heart. And the year after that got canceled was probably the darkest year of my life. It was tough. It was a really tough time for me and I didn't get a lot of work and I didn't do anything. I just kind of drank those years away. So the interviewer says, well, what happened to pull you out of it? And he says, I got out of it because I realized that I wasn't going anywhere and that I needed to kind of get my life on track and actually had a friend snap me out of it. The summer of 2000 was a real turning point for me. I kind of got my act together and laid down the bottle and got to work. And really the last five years have been the greatest five years of my life personally, and then as a result of that, I guess, professionally, six months after that, I met Amy.
0: Get on you, Will.
1: Yeah. He says we had sort of met before, but we started dating from the moment we met. It was the greatest thing that ever happened to me. It was Uh great. We didn't know what we were doing. And all of a sudden she got SNL. So we kind of decided that, I guess I had to move to New York. Otherwise it wasn't going to work out. So I moved back to New York and it was the greatest. (laughs) It was great. (laughs) Probably the best thing that's ever happened to me is Amy. Aw, super sweet. Obviously, in the not too distant future, Will Arnett will find himself cast in Arrested Development alongside Jason Bateman, Jessica Walter, Alia Shawkat, Tony Hale, Portia de Rossi, Michael Sarah, Atlanta native David Cross, and allegedly Me Too problematic guy Jeffrey Tambor. Playing the role of Job Bluth, the hilariously self-absorbed and incompetently villainous and showy older brother to Bateman's main character, this would be Will Arnett's breakout role, For d- sure. deservedly yeah. so. And Arrested Development itself continues to be a cultural touchstone, also deservedly so. But this is a great spot to park Will, who has traveled through the darkness of his worst pilot season ever and come out the other side in New York with his soon-to-be wife, Amy Poehler. This is great. Amy Poehler was born September 16th, 1971, and is a Virgo. This tracks for me already. (laughs) In Massachusetts, she grew up in Burlington, Massachusetts. She was the daughter of school teachers who encouraged her toward feminism and throwing off the shackles of patriarchy to do whatever she loved. Good on you, Amy. Yup. And good on you, Amy's parents. For sure. At the age of 10, she had her first performance in a school production as Dorothy in Wizard of Oz. Nice. Nice continued acting during high school. She was a high-achieving student, playing soccer and softball, serving on the student council as well as, you know, doing theater. So, I think we can all understand that she was the perfect fit to play Leslie Nope on Parks and Rec. <laughs> she graduated from Boston College in 93, having gotten into improv there and her enthusiasm for it was such that she moved straight to Chicago to
0: study it as a career. Love it. Why not? Why not? <laughs> Let it be known if you th- can't get a job at Vanity Fair, go to Chicago and study. Improv. I don't even know if she applied with Vanity Fair. <laughs> <laughs> Let it be known that one
1: cannot look at Amy Poehler's career without also looking at the career of her best friend of nearly three decades now, the notably for us not divorced Tina Fey.
0: Yeah, Tina Fey, do better. This is—we're no, just kidding. <laughs> this is—we f- love your marriage. This is a fan
1: <laughs> <laughs> story at this point. I love all of these people so much. Tina Fey was a new student at a different class at Chicago's Improv Olympics in 1993. Their teacher, the legendary Sharna Halpern, saw that these two shared a fearlessness and a sensibility and would likely hit it off very well. Ah, Amy Poehler recalls, quote, "I remember Tina Fey wrote a play about Catherine the Great fucking a horse and I thought that lady is hot stuff. I want to <laughs> know her." So Tina Fey pads this out a bit in a Marie Claire article where Amy Poehler interviewed her. They had a movie out together in 2008 called Baby Mama. It was for that. Anyway, Tina Fey says, Yes, yes, I used to take playwriting classes, and I wrote a one-act play. I can't remember the name of it. But it was really about the way women are perceived as leaders. In the play, Catherine the Great would say things like, you know, John F. Kennedy had extramarital affairs and no one says anything, but I bang one horse and now I'm a horse <laughs> banger for all eternity. That's it. That's what I am. Oh,
0: Catherine oh, the Great.
1: I think that story is probably not actually true. No, it's
0: entirely yeah. false. But can you imagine if that's your...
1: That's some deep state misinfo or whatever right there. That is some
0: deep state misinfo. You are correct.
1: Okay, so uh, Vulture has a like a history of their friendship... And they include this detail. Tina and Amy eventually perform a two woman show together at Improv Olympic called Women of Color. Oh, my. Of the maybe 15 minutes of written material, they pad the rest with improv. It includes a sketch about two police women named Powder Keg and Short Fuse.
0: Oh. There is
1: only one performance. Oh. I find that hilarious.
0: Okay. But they're both really fearless. Let's just keep doing it and put it out there and see what happens.
1: Oh, I bet the sketch about women in keg and short fuse was outstanding. <laughs> uh, Holland Taylor, the actor, screenwriter, and partner of Sarah Paulson, yes. was in Baby Mama in 08 and told Parade Magazine about it. Oh my God, I've never had so much fun working with anybody as with those two. They're very different. Tina is very cool and mental. Amy's just this gushing little oil pump of affection. Aww. And yet they're absolutely peas in a pod. They adore each other. They're like sisters. They're like Scotty and Westy puppies in a basket. Oh
0: my god.
1: (laughs) That is so cute. Yep. So Amy and Tina were instant besties, and they auditioned for Second City's touring company on the same day. They were always trying to get to land parts together. Well, Natch, is my best friend. Amy would go on to join one of the Second City main companies, as well as being a founding member of the Upright Citizens Brigade. And UCB would, in 1996, take Amy Poehler to New York City. Tina Fey secured Amy's old spot on the Second City main company. Oh, great. And she writes in her book, Bossy Pants, However, I must say as a point of pride that I did not get the job because I was a woman. I got the job because Amy Poehler moved to New York with the Upright Citizens Brigade (laughs) and I was the next best thing. (laughs) Their separation did not last. In the fall of 1997, Tina herself moved to New York to write for Saturday Night Live, constantly hectoring her friend to join the cast. It would take four years to convince her to turn her focus from UCB Which, aside from their live improv experiences, also spawned a three-season run as a Comedy Central show that I loved. I loved that show. Very good. So back in that Hollywood Reporter interview, Will Arnett says that he met Amy at a big group dinner in New York, which he had come back to for the holidays. She was on a second date with another guy in the group, but that wasn't really going anywhere. So, The two of them started talking and just kept on talking for what would turn out to be more than a decade. Wow. Her joining Saturday Night Live in September of 01 was reason for him to return to New York full-time. And in 2003, the year that Arrested Development launched, they married. In 2005, New York Magazine put the couple on its New Yorkers of the Year list, calling Will, quote, an Emmy waiting to happen and Amy, SNL's bright beacon. So aside from her work on SNL, Amy continued performing at Upright Citizens Brigade every Sunday. She called it the closest thing I have to going to church. Aww. So they were just really active and involved New Yorkers. Doing their
0: thing. Mm-hmm.
1: They had two sons, born in 08 and 2010. Nice. And right in the middle, Parks and Rec premiered in the spring of 09, which spawned several more of the most familiar characters of modern television, notably Amy's Leslie Nope and Nick Offerman's Ron Swanson, but also supplying breakout roles to Aubrey Plaza, Chris Pratt, and Retta, at least. like, I, Was Aziz Ansari anybody before this? I don't even know. I mean, it it was, was a big show. It was a big show. It did a lot. So the two of them shared projects together as well. They would guest on each other's TV series, and they acted or voiced roles together in the films Blades of Glory. And Horton Hears a Who, I watched Blades of Glory last night. It Good was idea. It was dumb and fun. <laughs> it was everything I expected it Perfect. to be. And then in 2012, there was an announcement that Amy Poehler and Will Arnett were separating. <gasps> It wasn't trashy. There were sources close to the couple that said they just sort of lost the spark, that the laughter had gone. And it's kind of easy to imagine that Will's particular personality quirks, and like what seems like he he just has a constant sense of like impending failure. Might have made those like post arrested development years a little titchy, because he he was working a lot. I mean he he's a very bankable guy. So neither of them was in any particular rush to dissolve. You know, they split in 2012. The divorce wasn't finalized until 2016.
0: Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a long time.
1: It is a long time, yeah. Back to The Hollywood Reporter, the breakup was said to be amicable, and their relationship has remained cordial. In the years since, Arnett has settled into the L.A. single dad routine, coaching his kids' t-ball teams and adjusting his film choices accordingly. It was for them that he took parts in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and The Lego Movie. Well, of
0: course. Where he played
1: Batman, Love by it. the way. They're super into it, he says, with pride. The other day, I came to pick one of his sons up at school, and a kid in his class goes, Hey, Batman's here. Aww.
0: <laughs> Batman's here. He
1: said he can also use the Batman voice to get them to like put devices away when it's time for dinner or bed
0: or whatever. Oh, I bet. Like, I can drop the hammer just by... I, I would pay attention to the Batman voice. Batman, yeah.
1: And, yeah. Will also found a better way to cope with the pain and dislocation of divorce, telling Details Magazine in 2013... If going to the gym obsessively for eight, nine months was my way of dealing, then let that be my worst problem. He also said that he had found his true happiness in his kids,
0: which is solid. Yeah, that's Mm -hmm. a solid way, solid outcome.
1: Yeah. So creatively, he has definitely produced some work in the last decade that has let him explore some of his darker impulses and like harder moments in life. Netflix's Bojack Horseman remains one of the more interesting and unexpected television forays in recent memory. Oh, you love memory. that show. I didn't know he was in that. He's, he's Bojack. Of course he is. He's the washed up alcoholic horse <laughs> who used to be a TV star. I mean, it's really like... Freezing, Stacey.
0: <laughs> no offense to horses. Um, <laughs> See, it all comes back around to Catherine the Great. <laughs> oh, hey, there you go. <laughs> For Netflix,
1: he also co-created, co-wrote, and starred in a series called "Flaked" that I think ran two oh, seasons. I love that show. I watched a lot of that show as well. That was fantastic. Mm-hmm. It was his show. Anyway, this really sort of explored the complexity of alcoholism and sobriety, and it really did. It was mm-hmm. a, it, it was, was very really well, well done. done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, and uh, like, to, it it was close enough to home that Will says that during production. He he got really like emotionally mixed up in the part. And, oh, I bet. And started drinking again. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. He was racked with shame over it and obviously was wanting to be a parent above all. So he was able to quit again. But yeah, that was I thought that was an interesting. Some real life struggles. Yeah. They've both had other relationships since, of course, but there have been no additional marriages so far. When COVID hit, they appeared from home together for a fundraiser for Canadian coronavirus relief where he joked that he hadn't showered in a month. But given everything, it doesn't really matter. Amy responded, actually, it kind of does, Will. (laughs) This led to speculation that they were quarantining together, but I think it's more likely that like, they, their sons, and the son's nannies kind of had formed a pod. Totally Um, makes sense during COVID. I say this because a month after this, Will became a dad for the third time with his girlfriend, um, Alessandra Braun.
0: Oh wow, so not quarantined with them. Probably not quarantined
1: with Amy Fantastic. and the boys. Congratulations. Definitely
0: congratulations. That's yeah. great. Will has also gotten into the podcast game. Oh, um, who isn't in the podcast game these days? Welcome
1: with the show Smart Lists with his old friends, Jason Bateman and Sean Hayes. Oh nice.
0: Oh, but that's probably great. From Will and Grace. To it.
1: Uh, yeah, I have. It's it's pretty good. They had awesome. Stacey Abrams on not long ago, so I'll check it out. Mm-hmm. In an early 2020 appearance on Dax Shepard's Armchair Expert podcast, Will talked about, actually collectively, Will and Dax talked about how it feels to be part of a celebrity couple with Dax leading off the conversation by saying, we both have, he and Kristen Bell, his wife, we both have the weight of a shared identity in a couple, which I have currently. It's so dicey for me at times because I'm pretty certain if something went sideways, which could happen at any moment, America is going to side with Kristen. I think I'm probably out. Yeah, you She's are. That's America's
0: sweetheart. She is America's sweetheart, mm-hmm. and we would side with Kristen, yes.
1: Oh, 100%. I mean, you're fine,
0: dude. You're fine, but... Okay, so we'll
1: chime yeah. in. Um, he says, I'll say this. Somebody actually tagged me on Twitter. No. A beat reporter for a Minnesota TV station saying, like, I don't know about you guys, but I'm Team Amy. No. And I wanted to respond and go, we're human beings in a relationship. We're all team everybody. <laughs> and our relationship fell apart. It's sad. It's heartbreaking. We have two kids. This is not some fucking game. What are you talking about? You have no fucking clue what our experience is. Wow. So, yeah, he, he goes on to say that that kind of thing did really bother him a lot and it took him a long time to get over it. And so, yes, I would like to kind of address the totality of this. So, Dax Shepard, you are 100% correct. If you break our Christians' heart, there will be no end to your earthly suffering. That is true. America has spoken. <laughs> at least Trashy Divorces has. <laughs> we do not want to cover y'all on this podcast. <laughs> you will not go to the good place. <laughs> okay, second, Will Arnett, we here at Trashy Divorces appreciate your comments. We do poke fun at the foibles of the rich and famous, although we admittedly use a very difficult time in a person's life as a lens to get there. So I'm not going to do trash cans for this story, and it doesn't sound like either of you deserve any anyway. This week, we're going to join you on team making it work after a divorce, team loving your kids, and team making cool art, even when it hurts to take the risk. Well said. And that is... Beautifully
0: done. Heroes, Amy Poehler and Will Arnett. We have Trashy Divorces All-Stars. We maybe need to think about Trashy Divorces Heroes. Featuring Tina Fey. <laughs> <laughs> Asterisk.
1: I love all of these people. I, I, I cannot stress that enough. I've been inspired by Tina Fey and Amy Poehler since forever.
0: Well done. That it was a great story. That was a much happier ride little than bit my previous tragic ride. little bit, yeah. But hey, we covered all here at Trashy Divorces. That's going to wrap us up for this week. But if you need more Trashy Divorces in the meantime, you can find us at Patreon.com. You can. Slash Trashy Divorces. This week, you've got another loose woman coming to us. I do. I do. We're going to leave Newport, Rhode Island back in last week's spiderwebs, And this week, I'm doing a double dose of Benedict Canyon, California, Beverly Hills, Dirty Digs for Wednesday. It's going to be a lot of fun. Can't wait to catch you over there. That seems so specific. Oh, they're very specific. <laughs> it's going to be great. A little bit of Gene Harlow, Sharon Tate, as well as Doris Duke. Interesting. It's going to kind of all weave in together in the canyon.
1: All right. Well, I think that's it for us in our season 10 kickoff. Holy cats. Thanks so much for listening, everybody,
0: and We're spending your time with us. Very excited that you're here. For another week. Yeah. We'll be back next Sunday. Yeah. In the meantime, love your celebrities. (laughs) Love yourself. Love your spouse or not. Sure. Exes if they deserve. (laughs) Love your kids. Love your life. Yeah. Keep your hands clean. Wash your hands. Yeah. Wash your hands while you're loving everything. Mm -hmm. Mask up. Get a jab if you can get a jab if you haven't gotten a jab yet. And keep your hearts entirely trashy. We'll see you next week, friends. Bye. Bye.